Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This hour, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL listeners. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. We'll be taking your calls at 801 575 8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500. Governor, it pains me to say that we're reaching the end of summer, but we have some things to talk about. Uh, the water picture, for one thing. Uh, you said as we were talking off the air that people have been concerned about the water. They want to know how we're doing. So let's let them know. Well, I, I'm happy to do that. And it's always fun to have a positive report after the, the, the past couple of years. But uh, because of the, the runoff, and even though we had a, a warmer July, the, the ground was so saturated that the water didn't sink into the ground. It actually went where it's supposed to go. And that is into our, our rivers and streams and eventually into our lakes and reservoirs. So some very, very positive news. Um, our reservoirs right now are at 80% uh, capacity, which is uh, which is well above the average. The average for this time of year would be about 64%. So that's great. Last year, we were at 50%. So we were well below average last year, well above average this year, which means we have a leg up on on next snow season. So again, hopefully it's a good snow season, but we're, we're already in great shape. Uh, the Great Salt Lake peaked in June, as it, as it always does, uh, peaked at about five and a half feet above where we were last year, which is tremendous. It's the best we could have hoped for. Just a, an amazing year, but still about five feet below where we would like it to be. So we're hoping, you know, we get another year kind of like last year and, and we can add another five feet to that and get us back into that, that healthy normal range that, that is so important for us. I, I just, I, I'm so grateful for Utahns who have, who have conserved, really done a, a wonderful job of cutting back, uh, flipping their strips, uh, finding, you know, waterwise landscaping for their, their yards. It's, it's making a tremendous difference and and uh, we're seeing it so much better shape but but certainly not all the way where we want to be yet right so it kind of sends a mixed message when you say oh we have enough water we're doing a lot better because you don't want people to suddenly decide oh I can just use more water. Exactly. And that's, and that's where I think people are getting better. They, they understand that this is not just a kind of a short-term thing. It's a long-term thing. Some years are better than others. If you use less in the good years, you'll have more in the, in the bad years. And, and so that, that, that message and just changing our mindset about water, something that other states have had to do, uh, because they, they, they weren't as good at planning as, as we were to have the, the great reservoir systems that we have. Um, and now it's time for us to have that, uh, that paradigm shift, uh, 
uh, for people to understand that, you know, you should have grass is great where you use it and play on it and, and certainly do that. But other places we don't need that. And there are other amazing, beautiful landscapes. One of the things I've been most excited about is to see the innovation that's happening in, in xeriscaping and, and, and waterwise landscaping uh, all throughout Utah. I'm seeing yards that are just gorgeous with very little grass. And uh, and we can we can certainly do more of that. Gorgeous, so interesting as well. Yeah. So you mentioned the Great Salt Lake. There is a rally going on, uh, maybe a protest of sorts against the inland port uh, over concerns about the environment surrounding the Great Salt Lake. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I, we've been very careful with the inland port. Um, this is going to be the most environmentally friendly inland port uh, anywhere in the country. It's uh, the, the protest is, is about a spur, and, and we're looking to expand that to different counties to help them as well. A spur up in Box Elder County. Uh, and and it's, it's interesting to me, the, the development that we're talking about uh, with the inland port is two miles from uh, the the bird refuge that they're worried about. So two miles is a long is a long ways. There's other development in between that, uh, and and so uh, again, I, it, it's it's people looking to get attention. It, it's fine, but but we're not going to harm the bird refuge with the uh, with the the inland port. Okay, it's election season. We have a special primary election coming up, but one of the big things people have been talking about is the GOP eliminating presidential the presidential primary and moving to a caucus type system. What what do you think about that? Well, it's not the first time we've done it. Uh we did it uh eight years ago. So we did it uh, heading into the 2016 election season. And uh, and it worked great. We had uh, we had record attendance at our caucuses that night. And so I thought it was uh, I thought it was a, a very positive thing that time. It saves uh, the state some money uh, not having to run a presidential primary. Sadly, uh, lots of people choose not to participate in the presidential primary anyway. So I don't know that there will be a large uh, difference in the participation levels there. We'll, uh, we'll be watching it closely. We'll be working very closely with the, the geo uh, the GOP. I'm grateful for the the, the leadership there, uh, for the the, the chairman uh, Rob Axon's a great guy. He's doing he's doing incredible work, and uh, and so we'll we'll see how it turns out. Um, sometimes you, you we I mean we may get more participation because people are are interested in coming together and talking to their neighbors about that uh, that presidential primary. I hope it matters. <laughs> um, I, I I'm. Usually we don't matter. We've tried to move up a little bit to get to that, uh, that March timeframe so that, so that hopefully Utah has a voice in it. I hate the way we select our, our primary, uh, candidates, uh, for, uh, for the general election in this country. I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me that Iowa and New Hampshire are so much more important than, uh, than states like Utah and, uh, that they have a much bigger say in who it is because if you don't do well in Iowa and New Hampshire, you know, maybe you survive to get to, uh, to, South Carolina and Nevada. But if you don't do, do well in those states, then, then you drop out and there's less choices. When we did the presidential uh, caucusing last time, there were only three candidates left by the time we got there. You'll remember we started in the, in the GOP with like 16 or 18. I don't remember how many, but by the time it got to Utah, there were only three left. I, um, I, it was, it was Ted Cruz and Donald Trump and John Kasich. And, uh, there was, there was amazing turnout there. Um, people forget how that turned out. I think, uh, it was, it was interesting if you go back and, and look at it, which, which I did. Um, Donald Trump finished third. I think he only got like 9% of the vote, uh, even though he was, pretty much the presumptive nominee at that point. Ted Cruz did better. Even John Kasich performed better. Um, and so I, I hope we have uh, we have good choices when it, when it finally comes to Utah, and I hope Utah matters. 
Utahns, Americans have thought a lot about election security. Do their votes count? How does the party plan to secure make sure that this election is secure. Yeah, well, um, the party works really hard on that. And I I have not had those conversations directly with them yet. It's still very early. This was a decision that was just made. So over the course of the the next six plus months, they'll be working through the details of that, uh, making sure that there is election security. Um, I, I mean, there's... There's no doubt that a, a caucus type system does not lend itself to more security than we have at, at the state level. We have so many security uh, lines in place uh, when when people are and and we have an election coming up. In fact, uh, people will get to see that on display. We uh, ballots are being mailed out for the right. next the, thing on my list. The primary <laughs> now, yeah, yeah. But so we'll work very closely with them to make sure that they're doing everything possible. Uh, sadly, we have had some breaches of security uh, through the caucus convention system uh, a while back. We we had um, uh, people trying to put two ballots in a, you know, in, in a ballot box, and people think that oh, if, if they're hand counted, that 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 will be much more secure. It's actually less secure when you're when you're hand counting, and so uh, again, we that's why we have um, we have uh, people who we have volunteers who are doing that work, but then we always have uh, poll watchers, people who are watching them do the work to make sure that uh, that everything is above board. Okay, before we move to the phone lines, let's just talk about the race to replace Congressman Chris Stewart. First of all. Just your overall thoughts about how this race has gone. Sure, yeah, it's 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 been an interesting one. The good news is that we have uh, three Republican candidates uh, that are that are wonderful. Um, the Democrats are, have got their candidates as well, and they'll be working through that process. And so we're um, we're going to have good choices here in, in the state to replace my good friend. And uh, I actually worked on Congressman Stewart's very first campaign. He was kind of a long shot when he ran the first time around, and uh, I was very excited. To to see him uh, get elected, he served uh, for you know a decade. He's just been fantastic. So we're, we're definitely going to miss him. But I, I'm excited about the options that we have. I uh, w- want to remind people that uh, w- you know this is a primary season, and so only a fourth of the state is participating in that one, the the CD two, the mm-hmm. second district, congressional district two uh, race. But we have a lot of municipal elections that that matter. There's a uh, you know there's mayor's races and and uh, and city council races mostly, and uh, and sadly these municipal election primaries are by far the lowest turnout of, of any election in our in our state. So I'm hoping that people will vote. Uh, your ballots should be coming as we head in. There's some important dates. Um, August 22nd is voters can cast their ballots early at a polling location. If you want to do it in person, uh, just Get on your county clerk's website. You can see where to do that. August 25th is the last day to register to vote while to receive a by mail ballot. So if you want your ballot mailed to you and you haven't registered yet, you got to do that right away. And then uh, just uh, just a reminder that September 5th is primary election day. Polls will open at 7 a.m. and close at 8 p.m. Obviously, your your ballots must be postmarked by that date. If you're going to send them in, make sure you get those postmarked. Just vote early. Get it out of the way and uh and but please vote it's it's really matters the low voter turnout always astounds me yeah. this is where you really have a chance to make a difference especially in these local elections and especially with so few people voting well and that's what what always surprises me um people uh, sadly we used to say in political science that all there was a, a mantra that all politics is local and and that's completely flipped on its head all politics is national now um it, what people don't realize is that who your city council member is impacts you a lot more than who the president of the united states is it 
It just does. Their daily decisions, uh, so many things that are happening that impact your life on a day-to-day basis. And yet everybody pays attention to the you know congressional races, the presidential races, and so many just don't even weigh in. And and it means that not only does your vote count in a municipal election, it it, it counts even more, right? Because you, you have even more power to I- impact a race as fewer people are participating. So definitely, definitely get involved. Get to know the candidates and uh, make the best decision for you and your community. You're going to tell us who you're going to be voting for in the second congressional race? Oh, I so we're, we're very lucky. Endorsing? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not doing an official endorsement of anybody. I know all three candidates. I know them very well. I like them a lot. Uh, we, uh, I've, I've known Celeste uh, for a long time. Celeste Malloy, she she she's the one who can hit the ground running the fastest. She's works for Congressman Stewart now. Um, she's been involved in his office. She's working on all these issues. So she, I mean, she could just step into those shoes and run. Uh, so, so she has that going for, her. um, the, the other candidates are great as well. Um, I, I worked with, uh, with Becky in the legislature and, uh, Bruce has been, uh, has been the national committee man for the GOP. I've worked with him very closely over the past couple of years. They're both wonderful, wonderful individuals. And, uh, and all three of them can, can do the job. Uh, the, the one interesting thing, this is where my bias does kick in. Mm-hmm. It's not an endorsement, but I will tell you my bias. Uh, as somebody who lives south of what we call the Payson-Dixon line, uh, we, we don't have, uh, we, we haven't had a member of Congress forever um, who lived off the Wasatch Front. And, uh, and, and Celeste doesn't. She lives in, in southern Utah. So um, that's very interesting, just from a geographical perspective to me, to get somebody who has that kind of rural perspective, which we don't we don't see very often. And uh, I, I certainly like that, but I'm not endorsing any of them. I think they're all wonderful candidates. All right. Phone lines are open. We have callers waiting. Number to call is 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. And thank you for joining us this noon hour. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. And James has been waiting very patiently on the line. Good afternoon, James. Well, good afternoon, Maria, and good afternoon, Governor Cox. Anyhow, I just wanted to congratulate you on Governor Cox on becoming a chairman of the National Governors Association. And I noticed your theme this year is to get governors to get people to, quote, disagree better, unquote. And I'm just wondering, would you say this is comparable to practicing the golden rule? And my only suggestion would be would be a motto kind of like disagree politely or disagree politely. Positively, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, James, thank you. Uh, that's very kind. As you mentioned, I, I do have the very unique and, and rare opportunity to serve as the chair of the National Governors Association. I'm grateful to my, my colleagues across the country. It is an organization that is a bipartisan. We we take turns, Republicans and Democrats. So, Governor Jared Polis of of, uh, of Colorado, the Democrat, is my vice chair. He'll be the the chair starting in July of next year. And 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 I have, after a lot of thought and and debate decided to uh, to choose this uh, this kind of unique and, and different initiative over the course of the next year governors will be working together on on this idea of disagreeing better and and yes I, I do think that this has a lot to do with the golden rule and, uh, and and the things that we we were we were taught growing up but but I do want to say one of the reasons we we picked that that wording and that theme is some people think that this is oh it's just about we all have to get along and kumbaya and 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 other civility initiatives 
initiative. And uh, I, I want to be very clear that that is not what this is about. Um, some of the criticism of it has come from people that, you know, and, and usually some of the most extreme people who say, no, no, we have to fight. We have to fight. We have to fight. And, and look, what, what, I'm, what I'm here to say is it is about disagreeing. It, it really is. It's about healthy disagreement. It's about passionate disagreement. Our nation was founded on profound disagreement. Uh, our, our, our founding fathers understood this. They disagreed vehemently about, uh, about many different issues, but they found a way to, to again, disagree better, disagree without hating each other, without tearing each other down. Um, the, the ability to try to understand what the other side is actually presenting and, uh, and, and, and again, presenting in such a way that they're willing to listen to us. It's, it's really about persuasion. Um, some of the most vocal, uh, uh folks out there on, on either side, uh, left or right, they, they've, they've, they've gotten completely away from persuasion. They're, they're yelling so loudly that they're not convincing anyone, uh, to join their side. And that's not how you, how you change, how you win, um, in this political environment. We actually have to convince people that uh, what we're trying to do is right. And you can't do that if you're screaming at them all, all the time. So, um, so, so that's what this is really about. It's about finding ways. And, and it's very, I, I mean, the science behind this is incredible. We are using actual science from policy labs at Duke University, at Stanford University, at Dartmouth, uh, where they have run experiments about how to, uh, how to help people come together without, without killing each other, to be perfectly honest, and, uh, and figuring out how to do that. And we have to make that change in our country or we are going to end up in a, in a very dark place. So, so I, I very much appreciate the, uh, the call, James, and, and thanks for your interest. James, thanks for your call this morning. Uh, let's go to the phone lines again. David is in West Valley. Good afternoon, David. What was your question? Okay, of first minors. of all, David, that is not the question that you said that you were going to ask. So I'm going to put you on hold and let you talk to the producer for a moment about that, even though, Governor, I'm sure you don't have a problem uh, talking about that. But no, no, I, I don't have a problem. You wanted to talk about um, super high technology at the old Draper prison. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm happy to talk about the issue. Um, again, we can we can uh, we can disagree without without name calling. And uh, that it's, it's very appropriate to to refer to people in, in such a derogatory way. Um, we uh, uh, we have some some amazing transgender people here in our state. Um, some people that I, I've gotten to talk to, that I've gotten close to. Um, we we are one of those states that has limited uh, transgender surgeries and uh, and and puberty blockers in young people, which I think is really important. As we look to Europe and other places that are dealing with this issue in a less polarizing uh, situation, uh, in in a way where we're we're not name calling uh, and finding finding better ways to do this, uh, it, it became very clear that uh, that that. Uh, some of those very difficult decisions need to be made after uh, after brain formation has 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 happened, and, uh, and and so that's that's why these very difficult decisions have have been made here. But but again, there there are better ways to do that, and and, and we don't need to uh, we don't need to treat people with that kind of uh, disrespect and and dehumanize people who uh, who are different than us. David, I, I kind of made a point there, Governor, because we take all the calls, we answer all the questions, and I would like our listeners to be honest with us when they call. So David, we are happy to answer your questions. The governor is definitely happy to answer your questions. Um, but it's not about trying to fool us about what you're going to ask. Yeah, we so. don't pick and choose the, the, the callers that come through, but uh, we do appreciate when, when we understand what the call is going to be about. 
Okay, there was another question about the prison that I wanted to ask you, Governor. Uh, this person says, is the state going to offset the cost of the new prison by selling off the land that the old one sat on? Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly um, the, the plan. So um, the point development is incredible. I'm so excited about what's happening down there. Uh, still very much in its early phases as we're working to get infrastructure. We're, we're still tearing down the old prison and, and getting all of that land uh, freed up. But the, the, the point uh, commission has been working hard. They are in the process. They've selected the, the developer. They're in the process of, of finalizing the development agreement, which is the agreement that will will be used to, uh, to to make all of those decisions down there and and the pricing and, and everything else. And then the, the revenue that comes from that land will go to offset. It will go back into to taxpayer coffers um, and and replace the money that went out to uh, to build the prison. And so this is one of those unique win-win decisions that was made um, under the leadership of, of Governor Herbert and the legislature back when I was lieutenant governor to uh, to find a, a better way to utilize that land right, right in the heart of Salt Lake City for economic benefit, for jobs and uh, in innovation. And I'm, I'm just telling you, this is going to be incredible. There are going to be some announcements over the next couple of years I think that will uh, that people will get really excited about. I think it's a place people are going to want to visit. Um, I think we're going to have some, some iconic structures there. There's going to be open space there with some parks, but there are going to be some amazing, amazing businesses. Uh, our, our institutions of higher learning will come together. A, again, an innovation district that's happening there. And, uh, and just just a, a real job creator, an economic creator, and an amazing place for the people of Utah to uh, to enjoy. All right, we're going to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. You can call us with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Good afternoon. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Cox. Number for you to call with your questions, 801-575-8255, where you can text us at 57500. Next listener, Gaina Lynn. Is this Gaina Lynn Condi? Gaina Lynn, are you there? I am. Hi, Hi how ahead. are you? Great, thanks. I'm so grateful for access and leadership um, from Governor Cox and Abby, and I think my question is probably a little twofold, and that is with school coming back into session and mental health being, I know, an important issue for the governor, uh, where do we see support for not just our students, especially with our mental health, but for our teachers as they are together sometimes longer in the school day than we are with them as parents. Thank you so much, Galen. It's great to hear from you. Uh, I know this is this is important for you and, and for all of us that have been working in this space for so long. It's it's really interesting. Uh, and if I could speak on, on behalf of my wife for just a minute, when when Abby was looking at her initiative, her Show Up initiative, she was actually initially going to focus on students. And uh, as she was interviewing uh, educators and uh, and and parents and students and and uh, administrators, something became very clear to her, and that that is that a lot of our 
teachers are not okay. And, and I think that's a, kind of at the heart of your question. And so she, she launched this show up for teachers initiative as part of the four initiatives that she's working on that really focuses on teacher mental health. Uh, she, she launched a conference and it was so excited this year, just a, just a few weeks ago in July, it was, it, it had just exploded. It more than doubled over last year. We had over 2000 teachers show up for that, that conference. And, uh, they, they were, they were just showered with, uh, with help from, uh, from local businesses, uh, from experts who came and, uh, and shared best practices with them and, uh, and again, resources to make sure that their mental health is, is good. And so that when, again, if, if you have a teacher who's in a bad place, their ability to teach our kids just goes downhill very quickly. But when, when a teacher is in a good emotional and, and, and mental space, um, their ability to teach goes up significantly. So this, this definitely bleeds over to our, our kids as well. And, uh, coming out of the pandemic, we're so lucky that we have teachers who survived that time, but, but certainly have not thrived. And, and we, uh, we need to make life better for them. And that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, now, so, uh, j- just, you, you did mention students, and I think it's important that we, we bring that up as well. We've been working in lots of different areas here. We've added more school counselors, uh, thanks to, to Governor Herbert and the legislature and some initiatives that we worked on over the past few years, uh, than, than ever before. Uh, that's making a huge difference in our, in our schools. As, as you know, we're really focused on the, the harms of social media. And, uh, we just launched a campaign that we're, we're very excited about. Every family can and should visit the website socialharms, uh, dot, uh, dot gov, I think is the, uh, I hope I, I have that right. It's, uh, I'm sorry, it's socialharms.utah.gov. If you go to socialharms.utah.gov, it has all of the data and information around how, uh, how social media is damaging the, the mental health of our young people. But, but even better, there are resources there. Um, so you can look at the statistics, you can hear the message from the U.S. Sur- Surgeon General, uh, but then you can go down and look at what you can do to protect your, your child. Uh, it, it talks about creating a family media plan, creating tech-free zones to encourage our children to have in, more in-person interactions. It talks about modeling social behavior. Sometimes parents are the problem. Um, teaching our kids about the technology, reporting cyberbullying, all these different things that we can do as families to help protect our kids. So we've got more resources in the mental health space than ever before. I also encourage people to download the Safe Utah app. Make sure your kids have the Safe UT app. The ability to connect with a with a professional at the touch of a button when you're in crisis is is a big deal. So uh, we're we're going to keep working in this space, and hopefully, we can help our teachers and our students. Governor, despite the increases that you've given teachers in the, in the past little while in salary, we are hearing about teachers leaving the profession in great numbers. Is this something that you're concerned about? Is there the state putting something in place, uh, initiatives in place to incentivize new teachers? Yeah, yeah. So it, it is something that we're worried about for sure. Um, we we lose a, about half our teachers in the first five years, and uh, that's that's way too many, uh, obviously. And uh, and so we we have a lot of kids, and uh, we we need a lot of teachers, and we need good teachers. So we're, um, we're, we're working on that, uh, for, for sure, uh, working on ways to encourage people to get into the teaching profession. And, uh, the, the, the salary piece is a, is a big piece of that. It's only one piece though. We, we know that. And we're hopeful those, uh, those increases that we, we passed in the legislature are just going into effect now into this school year. So we'll be watching very closely to see what impact those, those significant increases, the largest, uh, the largest pay raise in our state's history for our teachers will have on, on keeping people in the teaching profession. All right. Next listener is Don in Layton. Good afternoon, Don. What is your question? Hey, Governor. Uh, thanks for the great job you're doing. And I guess I probably, with most of you, Don's, can say you're slam dunk for re-election. 
Well, thank you, Don. That's very kind. Hey, uh, so um, I was trying to understand what all was going on with this malarkey with Joe, Cuomo, uh, Joe, President Biden, and uh, with the, uh, the new parks in southern Utah. Now, I think most Americans that know anything about national parks realize Utah has its fair share. So I'm just questioning, uh, give us more insight on it. Why is the state upset about it? What I understand a lot of the land that's being used is for these new parks or, or expanding these parks is, is, is land that's being used by ranchers for, for grazing. And, and I just uh, kind of wanted you, maybe you can explain it for the layperson like me that doesn't really know what's going on with that issue too well. Sure, sure, Don. Yeah, and thanks for calling in. It's it's a question that I'm I'm very concerned about, and so I'm I'm grateful for your uh, for for your interest. So a, a couple things that I think are important. So this this new national monument that the president declared uh, a couple weeks ago, actually it, it doesn't come into Utah. So it's it's south of of the Utah border in in Arizona, and um, it's it's a huge one, another big one like Bears Ears and uh, like Grand Staircase, which are both in Utah uh, more than. Uh, I mean, I think it's a million acres, very close to a million acres down there. And and so but but even though it does not come into Utah, it does affect Utahns. That's why we've taken such an interest in it, because, as you mentioned, we do have lots of ranchers that uh, that graze on that land. Um, and and there are some other economic interests down there that, that are as well. So so that's certainly a, a concern for us and why I wrote a letter to the president and why I spoke to the president directly about it when he came here to uh, to, to visit. Um, so we. It, I, I did ask him uh, to uh, remove grazing from that that petition, and uh, and we've been told that they, they they are doing that, that they are willing to do that to allow grazing to maintain. So I, I do have to give them some credit again for their their willingness to do that. Uh, that that being said, uh, as you mentioned, we are concerned with what these landscape sized monuments, a million acres bigger than some states, at the uh, you know just at the stroke of a pen. Uh, it's 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 very clear uh, if to me in the reading of the Antiquities Act, the statute that says that the, the, that that a monument a, a declaration can, should be the smallest size possible to protect the you know the antiquities the the things that we're trying to protect there and and so there, there's no question in my mind that having having a, a, a declaration of, of a million plus acres is is far larger than the smallest size necessary to protect the uh, the antiquities uh, now that that case we filed a case on those Utah monuments. Uh, it's on appeal right now to the Tenth Circuit. We anticipate it's going to go all the way to the Supreme Court. We're we're very excited to get it there and anxious to get it there because in another case last year, the uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court signaled that he was concerned about these uh, these very large monuments and, uh, and and signaled that there may be a willingness of the Supreme Court to take this up and uh, and to limit as we think the statute does the power of a president to uh, to j- just use this in such a in such a broad fashion so uh, that's a long way of saying stay tuned um, more to come but I think over over the next uh, the next year or two we'll hopefully get some resolution there next listener before we take a break governor was asking about the ETA on fixing all the potholes and road damage in the state well there there, there certainly was some road damage Damage because we had such a, a long winter. Uh, we've been working really hard on that at the state level uh, to fix those potholes. We, we are constantly fixing potholes. We've uh, we've been uh, we've we've received some recognition as being one of the best states for that. It is harder when you have the freeze uh, thaw cycle that we have here. Uh, we we get more potholes than than other states that don't have that. But uh, certainly our, our 
local uh, municipalities and others are also counties are trying to do the same thing. We did get some additional funding from the legislature, especially in our rural areas uh, for transportation, for roads that they have not had in a long, long, long time. Desperately needed. Something I campaigned on, something I'm very, very passionate about is is helping our rural communities. Uh, that money just comes in in July. Uh, so they're just now getting that money and they can now use that to, to help, uh, you know, repave, uh, resurface and fix potholes. And so I think you'll see more of that happening as we move into the fall. Quick break, and then we'll be back with the final segment of Let Me Speak to the Governor. Number to call, 801-575-8255. Text us, 57500. And thank you for spending your time with us this noon hour. Thanks for all of your questions and calls as well. And back to the phone lines. Uh, David is on the line from Summit County. And David, what was your question? Good afternoon, David. Are you there? Yes, I am. Go ahead. Um, Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Yes, um... You know, I want to ask, um, I, you know, I believe the governor is a very decent man, and I want to ask this question as politely as possible, but it seems to me that the governor has made um, certain decisions along the way that, you know, in order to placate the base and his party that are inconsistent with his values, whether it's eviscerating you know, my vote through redistricting, attacking public lands, um, embracing the hateful vitriol of um, Governor DeSantis and refusing to completely condemn and and disassociate himself from our bigoted, anti-Semitic, authoritarian um, ex-president, and um, not to mention the mountains of alleged criminality. I just, um, I guess I don't understand, or I'd like to try to understand how you reconcile some of those decisions how much um how much of one soul is you know are you willing to sell in order to retain power <laughs> well well thank you david uh for that that very kind evisceration uh i i have to just completely disagree with the premise um what what you're saying is if you don't agree with everything that I believe in, then you don't have a soul. And, and, um, that, that's just a terrible way to live your life. Um, I, I, I can sleep very well at night and, and I feel that I have represented my values at, at every turn. Uh, this, this, uh, this country again is, is not founded on agreeing with everything. And I, I take the decisions that I make very, very, uh, very carefully. And, uh, and I, I feel very strongly about those decisions when I make them. Now, this is also, um, Politics is the art of the possible, and uh, and I think you understand that. Um, you mentioned uh, you know the redistricting maps, uh, and and the, uh, the of course you know I, I could veto a veto proof majority of uh, of of the legislature. That makes absolutely no sense, and that's that's politically very stupid, uh, a very stupid thing to do. Uh, and so uh, and you know so I didn't do that. Um, you you want to gerrymander gerrymander the straight the state for Democrats? That's that's what you're asking for. Uh, the Republicans in leadership uh, here in the state wanted to gerrymander the state, you know, to benefit Republicans. Uh, and so those, those are disagreements and, and we can have healthy disagreements and we can fall out on, on different sides of, of those issues. And so um, that that very type of, of attitude, I think, is, is very destructive. This idea that if you don't agree with me on everything, then you are morally 
defunct, that there is something terribly wrong with you. And, uh, and that leads to, again, a very dangerous place. And you're doing the very thing in, in the way you ask that question, in the, in the way you're trying to position yourself vis-a-vis me and, and my party, um, you're doing the exact thing that you're uh, accusing Donald Trump and others of doing. It, it's the exact same thing. It's just another side of the same coin. And, uh, and, and, and it's very disheartening to me to hear people. That's, that's, that's not how you have a conversation. That's not how we disagree better. That's not uh, it, just, just the way you posit those questions is going to do exactly what's happening. And that is to, to, to cause me to put up a front to say, um, now, now you're, you're attacking my character because I disagree with you on, on a few issues. And, uh, that's, that's not good for our society. We need to be able to have conversations. We need to sit down as I do with my Democratic colleagues and ask, why is it that you voted this way on that bill? Help me understand what is at the core of it. And when I do that, then, then I can understand, oh, you're not a bad person. I can see that. We, we just have a disagreement and, and maybe we can find some ways to work together. And I hope you would really reconsider the way, um, the, the way you think about Republicans and, uh, and people who, who disagree with you. Uh, next listener, Governor, is asking, they say Tesla is looking for a new site for another factory. Is Utah making any effort to attract Tesla? So we, we are always looking at, to with with Tesla, with with any uh, big company that's that's looking to expand. Utah is on the map right now. Um, I, I can tell you, as we, t- we talk to economic developers across the country, Utah is very high on on their list. And so uh, as those opportunities come, we have a we have a, an entire group here in the state that that's all they do. Um, they look at those opportunities, and, and so we did look at Tesla before when uh, when they chose their their large battery manufacturing plant that ended up in in Nevada. Uh, we were on the list. We certainly had conversations with them. Uh, that that will happen again. Uh, we will continue to do that and, and looking for ways to 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 attract companies that make sense here. Manufacturing is great. We love bringing manufacturing back home. In fact, just yesterday, I was uh, I, I was I, I went and visited a company that is is greatly expanding expanding their manufacturing here it's it's a, it's a startup called Taurus they're doing amazing work in in the uh, the energy storage uh, uh, sector of the economy we love seeing these manufacturers come to Utah and grow and uh, we would love to have uh, have anything related to Tesla and and Elon and his companies here in Utah back to Trent who is in Saratoga Springs Trent was what was your question this afternoon hey there I was uh, trying to get a hold of you a couple months ago and I just happened to get in the truck between hospitals and thought, oh, let me just call in while I got it. So uh, my question is regarding school attendance and truancy. Um, I'll give a brief little background for those who may not know. When the pandemic started, when we came back into in-person education, a lot of kids uh, were missing out and skipping and there were some truancy things that basically got put on hold. So Truancy is not enforceable whatsoever for eighth grade and older at the present time. It was supposed to go back to effect uh, 2022, and then again this year. A co-sponsored bill with Kathleen Reby, who I believe is running against you, maybe. No, she's running for uh, Congress. Anyhow, it was approved with an earmark in it that extends truancy to 2027. I've talked to the local school teachers, principals, and Alpine district administrators they're all quite frustrated with the current uh, path that the government set forth of just basically kicking the can down the road and nobody taking charge and fixing this problem. So I guess my question is more direct. Do you have a plan to reinforce truancy for those, um, I'll say, mischievous minors 
that uh, like to skip out a little too much when all authority is taken away from the administration. And yeah, I'll hang up and listen to the answer there. Thanks, Trent. Uh, thank you. We, we've had these conversations with with teachers when when that first truancy bill passed uh, a few years ago. We didn't see a huge uptick, um, but but certainly you're right. Since the pandemic, um, we have seen a significant increase in in truancy. It, it's a concern because uh, if, if you look at the data, the, the the more days of school a student miss, there's I mean there's a direct correlation there uh, to their uh, ability to to succeed in school moving forward and and. And, and too many kids who miss a, a significant amount of days just uh, they 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 stunt their potential growth as as they uh, as they continue onward. So we um, I I know we're working very closely with uh, DHHS uh, Juvenile Justice and Youth Services uh, on this issue. It's it's again we've we've made some uh, we've made some changes over over the past with with regards to in you know what we're doing with our youth and and and, and youth justice uh, trying to keep them uh, from from getting getting sucked into that that juvenile justice system which also leads to to very terrible outcomes and uh and, and so we we don't have uh we 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 don't have a, a complete decision yet on what we're going to do based around truancy, but I can tell you that I think that will be a topic that comes up in the next legislative session. So stay tuned. Governor, we only have about a minute and a half left and we have many callers and uh, questions left, but I'm just going to ask you a couple while we have in the remaining time. Uh, Joan and Draper wanted to know, is there a way for seniors over 85 to get exemptions from property tax? Yes, there there is. Um, and, and again, it's it's based on, on your income. Uh, you should reach out to your local county. Uh, they have the ability under statute to grant those exemptions based on 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 your income so yes 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 reach out to your local county on that one and final question what's stopping utah from removing the tax on social security uh we've removed it on most utahns so uh unless you're making i can't remember the number now i think it's over seventy five thousand dollars uh then you're not paying any tax on social security and uh we we've gotten really close to removing that completely and uh, i hope we'll get there soon Governor, thanks as always for being willing to spend your time with us and answer questions. Thank you. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. Listen on the KSL News Radio app and in your car at 102.7 FM. KSL News Radio, your all day companion for news. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.